Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum, episode three. I'm Andrew Comro, an autistic certified financial planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with my host, Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, guys. I'm Eileen Lamb. I'm an author and photographer from France. I'm autistic, and so are my children, Charlie and Jude. And with this podcast, we really wanted to highlight real voices of autistic adults, you know, you hear a lot about inspirational stories in the media, but we wanted to talk about autistic like you, like me, um, their day-to-day life and what it's like to be autistic, even if you don't have a superpower. And uh, I do not. I do not have a superpower. Well, but you're wearing a superhero shirt. So, I, I mean, do you want to have a superpower or what would be your superpower? Well, I don't know. I guess that depends on what the superpower is. You know, I don't want to be like Bouncing Boy of the Legion, but, uh, you know, someone like Captain America, that'd be cool. I'd, I'd love to have the shield. Actually, I do. I do have a, an aluminum Captain America shield. But, uh, you know, it's not going to stop bullets or anything. Well, So we would like to introduce uh, Thomas McKean. He was diagnosed with autism and placed in a psychiatric facility that was custom at the time back in 1980 uh, to 1983. Uh, He studied computer science, Parkland College. He received his GED and graduated high school a year early. And he is the reason why We have a puzzle piece. No, in all seriousness, uh, uh, Thomas has been an advocate for autism uh, before I think many of us, a lot of us were even born, especially me and I think Eileen. And, you know, I think we can learn a lot from the people who have come before us. Um, He is one of the four original advocates along with uh, Sean Barron, Donna Williams and Temple Grandin. I don't know how the four were defined. I, I guess that could be one of our first questions is, is you know, is it like uh, the Fantastic Four? Uh, you know. <laughs> I, I, I love the comic reference. Um, I, I'm not sure how it was defined either. I know that for a while it was, well, it started out with Temple and then me and then Sean and Donna came along. But uh, for a while, it was just the four of us and the four of us did uh, we did a lot of work that kind of paved the way for the others that, that came after us. Mind you, we didn't know we were doing that at the time. And, and sorry, I kind of like jumped right in and kind of skipped your, your intro slash bio where I'm just so excited to talk with you. Is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, well, in relation to the puzzle piece that we're going to be discussing, um, directly related to that. I served two terms, uh, non-consecutive, a la Grover Cleveland, on the uh, National Board of Directors of the Autism Society of America from 92 to 94, and then again from 97 to 2000. And that's how I ended up, uh, that's how I ended up doing the puzzle piece. Okay, well, like to hear more about that. And we will soon. And And before we we start. Yeah. You know, there's a question we really want to ask all our guests because there's a lot of, uh, you know, people on the spectrum, autistic people, they like to identify themselves differently. So we want to ask you, how do you like to identify yourself? Person with autism, autistic, 
Well, as uh, Andrew mentioned, I've been around a while and I was around before that became an issue. So I'm kind of good either way. I'm not really particular one way or the other as uh, some people are about it. If you had to pick one, would you, or would you just be like, nah? Uh, you know, there are pros and cons to both. Uh, to me, it, it, it doesn't really matter. I've always had a little bit of a problem with political language. I mean, some of it's necessary, some of it's not, a lot of it's not. But, uh, and you know, person with autism or individual autism, that's definitely political. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm really not particular. Okay. I'm, and and I, I may be in the minority on that as far as people with autism go, but I'm in the minority on a lot of things as far as people with autism go. I'm with go. you. But um, really, it doesn't bother you either. No, as long as it's respectful, you know, Aspie, I even say like I have Asperger's because that was, you know, my diagnosis. Um, I have autism, I'm autistic. I, I really don't care, you know, either way. I think oh, they're it's, all it's, fine. I, I like that. I like knowing I'm not the only one. I, I, I think you're probably a little, I think there are probably a lot more like you and maybe because you don't have a preference, you're not vocal about not having a preference. So it's the people with maybe the very strong preferences who are very vocal. Maybe a lot of the people who are just neutral are just the ones like Silent. you. Well, yeah. yeah, because it doesn't matter to them. So why say anything? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So first question for you, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your autism journey when were you diagnosed? What was it like? Well, as you made mention just a little bit ago, um, I was diagnosed in 79. Of course, autism was way, way different back then, way different. And uh, then the, the psychiatric facility came a year later in 1980. Uh, I had been seeing doctors and psychologists and therapists and whatever my whole life, which some of it I enjoyed because sometimes it got me out of taking a test at school, which is always kind of nice. <laughs> I couldn't take the test because I had to see someone who showed me an inkblot and I had to just kind of make something up about what it looked like, which was never real. I, I just, I, I, it would be years before I would cooperate with those people. And I didn't then, which might be why it took me so long to get diagnosed. But, uh, you know, that, that was nice, not having to go to school. But eventually someone figured it out. It was at, uh, it was at the OSU hospitals. And uh, the custom at the time, even back in the 80s, uh, you know, put them in an institution. And so I was there for, for three years. How old were you? Uh, that would be 14 to 17. Uh, and so did, what happened while you were there? What was the experience like? And by the way, you don't have to share, but, um, and, you know, what, um, and anything you would like to share about where we've been over the past, you know, 30, 40 years and how things might have changed? Uh, well, if you have like uh, 30, 40 hours to go through that, yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, 
it was it was not really it was not really uh, you know it wasn't a vacation spot you know there was uh, mental illness and suicide attempts and uh, paranoia and um, one guy did uh, I think I wrote about this in a book one guy did try to kill me there he came very close. Um, <laughs> But so, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really that wonderful of, of an experience. And, but I did survive. I survived and I'm still here. And, you know, I guess when you, when you go through something like that, you can either, um, I guess you can be bitter about it and let it destroy you, or you can find some way to, turn it around and channel it into something good and I am absolutely certain those three years would go on later to make me a better advocate than what I would have been without them and uh something else you have in common with me is you got your GED a, a year early oh did you do that too I, I, well, I got it a year early, but I, sh I actually got it two years early because I, I started kindergarten late for a speech delay. Um, go figure. Um, and so I would have graduated at 19, but I, I got my GED at 17, actually. Um, actually, um, and I don't even usually publicly disclose this, I beat you. I spent more than three years in institutions from, you know, 13 to 19 give or take some years yeah between. we were we were talking yeah. about that so you so. know you know what i mean then when i when i talk about how it's not the nicest place to be i but i think what you said really you know even for me just to say that right now i, I talk so much publicly about so many things and you know even trying to bring the real side of things uh but you know e even that you know i i it definitely shaped me into who I am today. I think something you said about how, you know, you, I can't remember what you said, but it was something good. Like, you know, you, you can choose to, you know, move on, have it make you, you know, stronger, or I, I can't repeat what you said, but they were good words. So like you, you, you really don't that. have a choice. I mean, it either makes you stronger or it eats you alive. That, that's, a, that's a great way to put it, so. That makes me sad to hear because, you know, we talk about it right now and it happened to you many years ago and I'm so sorry that happened to you guys. I didn't have that experience, but in France in 2021, this is still happening in France. Um, people who have autism or autistic are often put in a psychiatric yard because people there don't know how to deal with that. And I think that's a reality that a lot of people don't know about. And, you know, as a French person, that's something I would love to shine a light on. You know, I feel like the U.S. and other countries have moved on from that. Like autism, you don't usually end up in a psychiatric yard if you have autism. You know, we've come a long way. But in certain countries, this is still a reality. And we can really make a difference and make, make sure that it doesn't happen to, to other autistic. Um, anyway, well, I, yeah. Yeah, well, I, guess, I guess one of the things I should be more proud of then is 
keeping as many people as I have out of the institutions over the course of time. Yeah, definitely. How, how have you done that? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. People have told me that I've done it. Okay. And um, <laughs> these are people who would know. So okay. I have to believe them. Uh, my guess is the way, my guess is it's happened a couple of things. Uh, first would be my sharing my own experiences with it. Um, you know, I wrote the book. I meant to hold that up. I'll have to see if I can find a copy of it around here somewhere. You know, uh, when you see people on the news, they've always got like their book in the background. I always thought that was so kind of hokey that I decided not to do that, but I could hold it up. And But, you know, there is, there is that. And I wrote about it in there. And I think also just... Um, just the awareness that I've done over the years, just the, the, the conferences and the consulting and, um, and all, of the, all of the advocacy work that I've done, I think has brought a, a greater awareness to what autism is. I'm not the only one who's done that. I don't mean to say that. There are other people who have, who have also you know, sacrificed to, to do this. But, you know, I think, I think that's a part of it. I think the more we understand, the more we understand what autism is, the more we realize that, you know, maybe institutions aren't necessary and could in fact be counterproductive. Yeah, that's why awareness is so important. Right now, there's a big debate about awareness versus acceptance. And I feel like both are important because you don't get acceptance without awareness. We need to talk about these things, right? I mean, there's so much controversy in the autism world right now. And I know there's and a big that's, controversy. That's something I've been saying for years. They've been wanting to change Autism Awareness Month to Autism Acceptance Month. This is the first year I've ever been in favor of doing that. Up until now, you know, I've been against it for that very reason that you say is that acceptance will come with awareness. But this month, I, I this year, I've kind of changed my mind about that because the ASA, who were the people who created Autism Awareness Month, and I had a part in that too, just like I did with the puzzle piece. I can tell you how both of those things happened, if you like. Um, they're, they're on board with changing it to Acceptance Month. And if they're on board with it, then it's, it's time for me to join the 21st century and be on board with it too. Yeah, tell us about it. How, you know, the puzzle piece symbol is very controversial. Well, it wasn't. Knows. It wasn't at the time. You know, this is, is 22 now. years ago. And uh, you know. uh, it wasn't. Would you like to know how that how that happened, how the puzzle piece actually came to be? I can tell you. Yeah, uh, tell what, what happened was uh, the ASA had been, uh, had been kind of given the task to uh create this worldwide symbol for autism and uh i didn't know that apparently um you know i missed that somewhere maybe i missed a page in the uh the little information packet that they send out to board members before the the meetings i had no idea that was going to happen so when i went into the boardroom that day i didn't know it was coming and there's this little table uh, off in the corner of the, the boardroom that had, um, that had all these different ribbons on it. You know how you like, 
when you want to have awareness for something, you always like have these little silk ribbons and have like the different colors and the patterns or whatever they are. And there was like just the whole table was full of them. And they were like all of these different colors and designs and patterns, but they were all kind of quiet and muted, except for one, the puzzle piece, which is like all of these big different colors and these interlocking puzzle pieces. And so that one got everyone's attention. And, you know, we, we thought it was kind of appropriate because, you know, autism is a bit of a puzzle. And one of the problems with the controversy right now is, you know, there are people who think it's about the individual, but it's not. It never was. It's not about any person. It's about the condition. It's not that you're missing pieces, like they say, and it's not that you're just a puzzle piece, as they claim. It's just the fact that there's things about this this situation of autism that we just don't know and that's what the puzzle piece represents and the colors the different colors represent the diversity of people with autism out of respect for them so you know the and and for the time 22 years ago you know, I think I think it was the right thing. I think it was appropriate for the time, and I will defend my vote because of that. the The only thing that we did not have in the room with us at the time was a crystal ball to see into the future and to see the way the world and autism would change within 22 years. And there are people who are a little upset with us about that that we didn't know the future. But we did act, all of us in the room, we did act on the, the best information we had at the time. And I think we acted appropriately. Now that doesn't mean that, that since things have changed that we can't change the puzzle piece. I would be okay with that. But I, I do think that for the time it was the right thing. What, uh, what's your opinion on changing it? Why do, would you be okay with that? Why do you think it would be a good choice or a good thing. I, I think that, you know, those, those people who have a problem with it are just wrong in the sense that it's not uh, disparaging to them. They're reading into it things that are not there. But at the same time, because so much has changed the past 22 years, I could also sort of understand where they're coming from and why they would think that way. And that's why I'm okay with changing it. It's obviously... Yeah, I think some of them are just making noise, but I do think that there are others who really are actually genuinely traumatized by it. And I don't want that. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's right. So I'd be okay with changing it. Uh, that was great. Um, thank you. And um, so you've been an advocate for a long time, right? Uh, if you could you know, explain to us, so you mentioned these four people, right? And explain, you know, let's call it the Fantastic Four with your superhero shirt. I, I don't know if that, you know, anyone else will appreciate that name. And just, you know, again, what, what it was like, you know, back then, uh, or just, um, and if you could go back in time and change anything, would you even? And if we so, were, why? We were gods we were gods, we were literal miracles. And 
people couldn't get enough of us. They, they hung on our every word and it was very stressful at times to be in that situation. Other times it was fun because, you know, you're like Mr. Popular or with Temple and Donna, Mrs. Popular. But, you know, you, you also had this big responsibility since people were listening to you and they were believing everything you said, you had to be sure that you were as truthful and accurate as you could be. And, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, all four of us understood that responsibility and we, we did the best we could. And that's not the case anymore. You know, nowadays, if you're someone with autism, then you're someone with autism. Autism is a dime a dozen. But back then, there were just four of us who were talking, and it was kind of a big deal. So, you know, I, I'm glad that, um, that the pressure is off of me that way, and uh, I'm happy about that, because there were, there were times that it was, you know, the pressure was just a little too much sometimes, but um, it, it, was, it was different. It was, it was very different in that sense. You know, these were parents who uh, were just, and, and it, I, that, I guess in that sense, it's no different than now. Parents who are just looking to do the best they could for their kids because they wanted their kids to be happy and they wanted their kids to have a higher quality of life. Back then, though, autism meant you were this, um, you know, nonverbal kid who was banging his head against the wall and screaming all day and and you know the there there was a lot more emphasis on the more severe cases back then because there was no Asperger's back then that came later I remember that and the the higher functioning for lack of a better term that was quite a bit more rare back then yeah, speaking of high functioning, I mean, that's another controversy in the autism world, right? Whether we should use functioning labels or not. And right now, the autism community, autistic community is very divided. Um, what do you think about what's going on right now and the divide and what you see on social uh, media? The, the, uh, in, in terms of, of the labels of high and low functioning, I never cared for him, even in the beginning, all those years ago, but I could never think of anything better. And now I guess they, the, my understanding is that they got these levels, level one, level two, level three, that's not accurate either. I think it's a little more, I think it's moving in the right direction, but I don't think it's an accurate portrayal, accurate portrayal of what autism is. I think it's so much more complex than just, just three levels so i think we've i think we've got a, a long long way to go still before we really understand what it is do you think we'll ever get to the point where there there is a good way to describe it or to your you know point it's just so complex there's so many different maybe but i don't pieces. expect it to happen in my lifetime yeah, you know, all we could do is keep moving forward, find our way there eventually. Yeah, and I mean, we've been 
trying to you know find a middle ground because of all those controversies and like you said earlier some of the things that define autism like the puzzle piece happened so many years ago and it would make sense that some of these things don't fit right now to define autism and maybe that's why there is so much uh, controversy in the autism world um, and we're seeing a lot of disagreement on social media some of it is respectful and the other side of it is not very respectful and the autism community just is really divided right now and I know you've been in the line of fire um, with that because you spoke about the puzzle piece what's your take on on that well uh, you know if you unpack everything about the puzzle piece there's just so many layers to it there's just a layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of complexities to this whole puzzle piece controversy. I do think that the one thing this is not about is the actual puzzle piece. I really think that's got nothing to do with it. I think that the truth is it's just kind of this uh, thing that they're putting there in place of what what the real problem is. You know, these are people who have been abused by uh, by those who are claiming that they wanted to help them. And I don't for a second doubt that that's happened. I believe all of their stories. Hello guys out there, do you hear me? Do you hear me? I believe you, I believe you, I believe the stories. I believe, I believe the, uh, the things that happened to them with the ABA, I, all of it. I believe all of it's true. I know the history of ABA, and um, I, I I believe that uh, you know the other the other things that may have happened to them that they've told me about. I believe every word of it. And you know, if you're going to abuse somebody, find a person with autism because there's really you know nothing they can do about it. You know, that whole, you got that, you got that whole nonverbal aspect on some, you've got the sensory overload on others. And sometimes, you know, when you, when you have autism, there's really nothing you can do, but sit there and let it happen. And all of that is just through no fault of your own. So yeah, that, that isn't right. It isn't right that it happened to them. It isn't right that it happened to me. Andrew, we know things have happened to you because you just said so. That isn't right. So uh, I, I think that they're, they're, they're crying out about, about the abuse. And I think that they've got some legitimate gripes there. I just think that they're going after the wrong people because the parents who are supporting the puzzle piece now or the parents who or people with autism who don't have a problem with it, they're not the ones that did it to them. And I've always, you know, taking a step back as somebody who comes from the legal financial planning realm as well, where, you know, lawyers until recently weren't even required to do continuing education, for example, right? So, you know, a 60-year-old lawyer, you know, 30, 40 years that, you know, there's a good chance they have no updates. Um, and coming from that world in the language that was used and you know, hearing the logic behind person first language, right? And being trained as a professional 
before I knew I had autism. I was a chartered special needs consultant. Um, and ironically, I got through that without knowing I had autism as well. So it goes to show you how little that course can teach you. That, that is a little ironic. <laughs> so it wasn't, it was right around that time in all fairness. But, um, but then, you know, it's, if you look at the intent behind the person first language, right? It was good intent. It may not be the individual's preference, but it was good intent. And I hear professionals using identity first in the, in the way from when they were back in the 1980s, when you were, when they were using identity first with you, they, they weren't using it in a positive way. And it's kind of like dressing in flare jeans or something like they're suddenly back in style, although they never changed. Right. Or something like that. I don't know. I'm not stylish. I'll see what Eileen says about fashion. Well, you're right. But, the, the person first language was, is, and is still, you know, at least it's supposed to be there to be respectful of the person with autism indicating, Hey, I recognize you as a person first, if that's what you're saying. But but now there are people with autism who are taking offense at that and saying, well, no, autism is my identity. So I'm not a person with autism. I'm autistic. And then then you have others who say I'm a person first. And, you know, it's 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 enough to ruin your whole day trying to figure it out. <laughs> and I'm oh, sorry, you, you go, Eileen. Well, I think that's the issue is that it's such a personal matter, you know, how you feel about it, that I don't think it should be a community thing. Like you need to ask the autistic person, person with autism, how they feel about it, you know? And if they can't tell you, well, I like person first language better or the other way, then their caregiver are going to be the person to ask just because some people on the spectrum just don't have that ability to express themselves like on social media or to express thought like, oh, I like person first language better. I mean, for a lot of people on the spectrum, their reality is that they can't even communicate beyond basic needs, such as I want water with AAC. And yeah, I'm speaking from experience because of my son, Charlie, and that's like a, a touchy subject for me because if one day he's able to tell me hey I don't like that you call me autistic or you say I have autism I would just be like the happiest mom in the world like if he comes you know if he comes to it and he's able to express like these thoughts to me and make his voice heard whether that's with AAC sign language I really don't care like you know, you know what I mean? And a lot of people on the spectrum, they just can't express their preference. And that's something we need to remember. Not everyone can advocate for themselves. And you also, if you can advocate for yourself, you also have to be careful to make sure that you don't claim that you're advocating for everyone. You know, I have spoken for the autism community, but only when I had the, uh, the authorization from powers that be to do so, such as when I voted on the puzzle piece. But, you know, it's, it's not something that I've done for years. I don't think I ever will again. And you have to, um, you have to be careful that you don't say that 
the people who are having the problem with the puzzle piece now, they're saying, well, we do speak for everyone with autism. And they're saying, you know, someone, someone ran a poll online and 12,000 people with autism responded that they had a problem with the puzzle piece. Okay, yeah, maybe that happened. But we also know that there's over 5.6 million people with autism here in the United States alone. 12,000 is just the tiniest, tiniest percentage of that. So, and also the majority of people are not on, not on the internet and are not able to vote. So, you know, you, you can speak for yourself and you can say, I have a problem with it or golly, I kind of like it. I've heard both, but you have to, you have to be careful when you're being an advocate, you have to be careful about uh, making it clear who you're speaking for. And here today with the two of you, I'm speaking only for Thomas. I'm not speaking for anyone else. I'm not going to claim to you guys or to the people listening that I'm speaking for the autism community because I'm not. I don't have the right to do that. So question for you, and it will comment first. And so that is, I, I think in the community where that poll was done, you are also banned from talking about the puzzle piece or ABA. So I actually, and if that's confirmed, um, then 5% is actually kind of amazing and surprising given that, you know, you're not even a lot, you know, you're not supposed to talk about I, it. Um, I don't, I can't tell you, I'm not a part <laughs> of that community. So I don't know if it's banned or I know that, I know that they're not happy about the puzzle piece of ABA. So it wouldn't surprise me if you were banned from talking about it. But, but a question, why do you think that, you know, the individuals with autism more so on the internet than anywhere else seem to feel like they can speak for the entire autism community um, and that, you know, um, why, why, why do you think that is, if you have any guess? I do have a guess uh, because, again, this is just me talking, just a, just a wild guess. I can't confirm or deny this, but my take is, uh, you know, they're in, they are in a community where they are with like-minded people and all of those people feel the way they do. And so because they are in a community where everyone feels the same way, maybe they're feeling like everyone feels the same way everywhere, which is, you know, completely different than, than um, people within your own community feeling a specific way. Do you mean to tell me that individuals who have a diagnosis or a self-diagnosis that includes lack of seeing something from somebody else's perspective, have trouble seeing somebody else's perspective. Heavy sarcasm implied with that question there, by the way. And before you answer that, I wanna say that something I relate to, and correct me if you're wrong, um, if you think I'm wrong, is I used to think that I could, that I didn't have that problem, that I could see things from other perspectives. and. I realized that no, that that was wrong. I I don't I can see why somebody might seem that way, right? I can't see somebody's perspective. I can see anybody's perspective. I can almost 
you know, rationalize why anyone might do something and almost benefit of the doubt. So for example, Tom, um, and I just mentioned this because I, I thought I related to it. And if I'm wrong and you crushed my soul, feel free to tell me. But it's, um, you know, where you, you didn't, you're not denying anybody. Everyone who is advocating, you're saying, I have no doubt that there's trauma. I have no doubt the pain. It seems to be like, you can absolutely see where everyone is coming from, right? That's Almost because to... of 30 years of experience. Yes, they haven't had that. But, but I have, and, you know, 30 years of experience kind of opens your eyes to uh, other people's points of view. And for those of you who have, uh, to answer your question, for those of you who have been around the autism community for a while, those of you listening or watching, Ruth Sullivan once walked up to me and told me that, that I do not have theory of mind and that I was incapable of putting myself in someone else's shoes. Now, I'm not sure why she said this. If I remember right, it was... Uh, it was during a break at an ASA board meeting and she was there and uh, something, something must have happened. I must have made a comment that she didn't agree with somewhere along the line in the boardroom. But uh, she did, Ruth Sullivan herself once told me that, uh, that I don't have a theory of mind and that I'm not capable of putting myself uh, in a position to understand other people's points of view, because that's something that, uh, that people with autism have a very difficult time doing. And she's right, there are some who, who do have a difficult time doing that. And it was something that, that I think really I had to learn. I don't know if she was right at the time, she might've been, but, um, you know, over, over the course of time, I have come to see that, you know, just because I don't agree with somebody, like, say, you know, regarding a puzzle piece or ABA, that doesn't mean that their own opinion isn't valid. And it doesn't mean that they don't have valid reasons for believing the way they do. If you are abused and you have beliefs based on that, you know, that's, that's a pretty valid reason for believing something that you do. And yeah. you, you have to acknowledge that. You're, you're making a good point. And I think it's, it's really hard sometimes to remember this. I mean, I know it's something I need to, to work on, um, you know, accepting to see it from the other person's perspective, what Andrew was talking about. I mean, that's an issue in my marriage and in my friendships. It's just something hard for a lot of people on the spectrum, you know. And when you're online, on social media, interacting with these people who are telling you this, but in a way that is not respectful at all, um, it makes it even harder to want to put yourself in there shoes and to see it from their perspective and I feel like that creates this very difficult communication because they're going at, at it in a way that is it doesn't make you want to listen when you're being called you know abusive and a piece of that type of things and <laughs> it just makes it harder for people to want to listen you know and so I, then it just 
breaks the communication when I think on a lot of things we want the same thing and I posted about this on my social media at the beginning of April like in the end you know it was a post about whether you light it up blue or red or use the infinity loop or the puzzle piece like in the end we want the same thing you know we want um, autistic people to be accepted to like have the same opportunities as other people um and I think that's true. I think we don't know how to communicate with each other, but deep down, we want the same thing. And I'm sure there is a way to make it that we come together and, and make this happen. And that's why I'm really excited about this podcast and talking about you know, talking about you today was like so, so nice because you're, you're very open to other opinions. And like you say, you have 30 years of experience and it's really nice. I mean, you're one of the fantastic four. Is that what we're calling it now? <laughs> I like Yet it. you're open-minded. Well, I, 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 I hope I'm. I hope I'm Reed or Ben. I don't really want to be Johnny. He's a bit of a hothead. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you're you're right about that. You know, the 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 the, the people who are are bullying have told me. You know, the reason that we're doing this is because people aren't going to listen to us unless we're angry. And they're, they're, they're almost right, not quite. It, it, it would be more accurate to say people are not listening to you because you're angry. And full disclosure here, because I know there are people listening who know me and I don't really wanna say this, but I don't wanna be accused of hypocrisy either. I understand that. And that's another reason I get it is because I know I know what anger is and I know what rage is. You guys didn't know me a few years ago when I was just as angry as they are. I was angry at a different group though. I was angry at the evangelicals because these were people who were claiming to follow and practice a doctrine of love. And yet they, and, and even more so their leadership were going around doing these hateful things like saying, okay, let's, let's, let's just kill all the gays because that's what God wants. And quoting some obscure scripture to support it. And, uh, you know, I had a problem with that. And you may remember that a couple of years ago, that really kind of got out of hand. And every time you turned around, there was another story about some preacher somewhere doing something like that. And I was, I was angry about it. Because, you know, to me, to me, it's not right to, to treat people that way. And I did come down kind of hard on the evangelicals for that. You know, I didn't, I didn't go so far as to do what the, the, uh, the people against the puzzle piece at ABA are doing now there. Uh, I can give you some examples. There was a, there was a lady walking along with her daughter and they were just, uh, they were just out for a walk and she was wearing a puzzle piece. I'm not sure if it was uh, jewelry. I'm not sure if it was like a puzzle piece shirt. Not sure, you know, how it was, how it was. There was something on her that was a puzzle piece. And she was walking with her daughter. And this person came up to her, didn't know her, never met her before, knew nothing about her and accused her of wanting her child to die because she was wearing a puzzle piece. And to me, that's just not okay. 
and then since then I've heard other stories. There are uh, there are people who have called uh, uh, parents' places of employment trying to get them fired over a difference of opinion on the puzzle piece. There are people who have called child protective services trying to get parents' kids taken away from them over a difference on the. What you're raising your hand. Don't tell me that happened to you. The last that's, two things happened to me. Yeah. That's 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 absolutely unacceptable. It, you it know, is. It's it's and it's it's unacceptable. You you don't you don't that's that's not advocacy. That's that's not that's not even bullying. That's something beyond bullying. Is there something behind it? I, I they, well, Abuse. we'll have to make up a word. We'll have to make up a word. So yeah, you know, I was angry. Now, now I didn't. Maybe, maybe I would have, in my rage and anger, gone that far. I didn't because, you know, just after those three years in the institution, I came across these two people who, who uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how to describe it. You know, these, my whole life, these, these doctors and therapists and people were trying to find a way to bring me out of the autism. And even in that place, no one was able to. And then you know, right after I got out of these two people come along, no kind of mental health or psychiatric training at all. And they managed to do it to the extent that I am out of it anyway. And the way they did it was just, you know, coming into my world and bringing them out into theirs. And it's, it's, it was really something just that simple that no one else thought to do. And they were, they were very devout believers and they will always have their own kind of place in my heart, you know, because I love them. I love the two of them more than I love anyone else in the world. And we're still friends. And I did kind of come down rough on both of them. Michael, Gwen, I apologize here to podcast publicly to the whole world for you to hear. And, uh, you know, anyone else who was offended, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been as angry as I was. What I'm saying here, guys, is I understand, I understand the anger and I understand the rage. And because I've been there, even recently, I also understand that there are things that are just not okay in ways that you express that. And it took me a few years of, of therapy to get over it. And people have called me privileged for that, you know, and maybe I am. And one thing all of this together has shown me is that one of the things advocates need to do right now, we need to put a higher emphasis on is, is making appropriate mental health services available for all people with autism and just people in general, you know, as, as cruel as the world is right now, everyone should have easy access to that kind of thing. And they don't. So they're, they're angry because they don't have people to help them. They don't have people to help them because the help isn't there, which just makes them even more angry. So it's kind of this vicious circle with no way out. Thank you for that. No, that's, I mean, still, still thinking about it, but I, I know we could all 
learn a lot from, you know, from the people who have been there before us. And, you know, it's, you admit your mistakes, right? And things that you, you know, could have done better. And that takes a lot. So thank you. Really appreciate it. Um, Should we move on to the quick fire questions? Sure. Eileen, do you want to do it this time? You don't have to. Sure. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Yeah. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. We're going to ask you some uh, quick fire questions. So you, you answer. Yes, I saw those. I have a quick fire prop right here. I'm looking at it. I'll show it to you at the appropriate moment. I, I went so and I got it and I put it here on the table because I knew you were going to ask. Go, go ahead. <laughs> That's perfect. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, I, I, I don't really know. However, I can tell you a piece of advice, which uh, was a very good piece of advice that I got just before this whole thing that we did. I was outside. Um, it was uh, sunny and warm, and I was uh, I was out there, and uh, this neighbor walked up to me, and I told him, I said, uh, you know, I I'm doing kind of this interview, this podcast kind of thing. I've never done it before little nervous because I have no idea what I'm doing. And he said, you know, you're, you're looking at this the wrong way. And, and, you know, this is for anyone who, who you guys invite in the future. This is something that I'll, that he said to me and I'll pass on to them. He said, you're looking at this the wrong way. He said, it's not that you don't know what you're doing. You know exactly what you're doing you've had the experience and you need to go into this thing believing that you know what you're talking about because you do. And he's right. You know, I, I think my record shows that I know what I'm talking about, that I know what I'm doing. And um, so I, I tried to, I tried to come in here talking to the two of you instead of thinking, you know, Oh no, am I, am I saying the wrong thing instead believing okay thomas you know what you're doing it's okay to talk it's okay to have an opinion yeah so that was good advice. To do thank you thank you joe if you're out there listening thank you for that thank you joe <laughs> would you like to do to relax uh that's the prop here it is I don't know if you can see this. Some of you watching will recognize this. This is a Kenwood uh, THD74A handheld amateur radio. Um, I have an extra class amateur radio license and uh, I talk all over the world. And um, that's, this is, this is just one. I've got like base stations and antennas all over the place, police scanners and things like that. So that's one thing I do. Uh, you can tell by the shirt, um, I read a lot of comics. Um, you know, the, the, the comics were, the comics actually turned out to be a big part of the work that I did when I was young. You know, when you're young and autistic, you're in this place where, where the world is, 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 is very frightening because you don't understand it. And going into the comics was, was kind of an escape because you were, you were, you were in these other worlds where the good guys won. Sometimes there were sacrifices, 
You know, sometimes they pay the price for winning, but the good guys, the good guys win. And, and when the world is kind of a scary place, sometimes you want to be where the good guys win. And reading those, you know, and, and I have read literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of comics by now. And a lot of people would say, well, Thomas, you know, that that's a wasted life. Maybe, but I don't think so, because they taught me good from bad. They taught me right from wrong. They taught me how to be a good and decent person. And they taught me what being a hero is about. And I took a lot of those lessons later on. I took a lot of that into the work that I did, into the advocacy that I did. So the comics really kind of helped me out with that. And one of the nice things about, about Facebook, aside from that whole uh, social media thing and being able to talk to people without talking to them, which I think is important for a lot of people with autism, is, is that I have been able to, to uh, tell a lot of those writers and artists who wrote them, you know, thank you for doing that. You didn't just help me, but in helping me, you've helped millions of other people around the world. And, you know, I, I'm really thankful that I've gotten an opportunity to say that to them. And I'm thankful that they wrote the stories. So yeah, Captain America, Fantastic Four, Justice League, Legion of Superheroes, all of it. I've read it all. What's so I've done that. And uh, there was before you before you asked the next question, there was one more thing. What was it? I don't remember. There was oh, movies. You don't see it right here where I'm pointing. There's a little shelf. And it's got over 2,000 DVDs of movies on it. Most of them are pure crap. We're talking <laughs> things like just about every 1950s black and white rubber monster suit sci-fi piece of junk that's ever been made. The cheesier the movie is, the more I like it. Because again, it's an escape from reality. You know, and I don't mind spending time in reality. But sometimes, you know, when you have autism, it's just a good thing to be able to escape it on occasion. What's your favorite crap movie to escape reality? Um, I don't, um, I don't know because I've seen so many of them that it's it's difficult. Um, I think the reason that I mentioned the '50s rubber monster suit sci-fi movies is because I just absolutely love those. Um, I like I like the the classics. I like the low budget things. Uh, you know, Karloff, Lugosi, and Price. I'll see anything with them in it. Uh, you know, they were they were great. <laughs> Andrew's like, I don't know what that means, Andrew. That look. Are you Me like, either. well, yeah, bring it, or are you like, man, you're nuts, or are you like, yeah, I love them too? No, I, I know have, what it's, it's, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, for those so. who don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, Boris Karloff, Bella Lugosi, and Vincent Price. Karloff uh, that didn't help. Probably best known for the Frankenstein movies back okay. in the 30s. Okay. Uh, Lugosi, same thing, except he was Dracula. Listen to them. <laughs> the children of the night, what music they make, right? And, and Karloff, just with his hands, 
you know, supplicating the, the sun coming down through the barn, not even saying anything, that, that expression, this guy who was created by this mad scientist who didn't want to live, he just didn't have any choice in his creation or the monster that he became. You know, none of that is his fault. You know, and he's just kind of this, this innocent, tragic figure. You know, he's not really the monster that, that, that people think he is. So, you know, there was some depth to those movies back then, but they were also low budget and, um, they were, and, and they were cheesy. I love the old movie serials. I've got a bunch of those on the shelf. You know, don't dare miss the next chapter at this theater next week. Got a lot of those. So I like, I like doing that too. That's so good. I'm so glad you came on our podcast um, today and accepted our invitation. Um, what we do at the end of all our episodes is that we ask our guest, you, to uh, ask a question to our next next guest. So what is a question you would like to ask? I saw that. Guest? I saw that on the list when you sent it to me. And I... I wish I could think of something. You know, autism is just so complex that there's just all of these questions going through my head. It's, um, it's difficult to pick one. How about this? Because I'm a writer, um, ask them what their favorite autism biography is. I'm not expecting them to say that it's mine. Mine, by the way, can I plug it? Is that allowed? Can I plug the book? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, of course. It's, uh, it's a little book. It was written in 94. It's called Soon Will Come the Light, A View from Inside the Autism Puzzle. Uh, it took a literary uh, award, a, an award for literary excellence, and it got me onto Oprah. Um, and that was kind of cool. Oh, well, and my background isn't like uh, working too well with that's uh, it. the book, that's but it. I do have the book here. I just you do got have it. it. So, yes. Oh, really? <laughs> have you? So you haven't had a chance to read it yet. So you don't know if you can recommend it. I, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I, I do have it. <laughs> well, I appreciate you putting a couple bucks in my pocket. Of course. <laughs> and, um, you know, I that if you guys could sort of see it through the through the background there, um, that's it. Uh, at the that that was the first biography written by a a guy with autism. Temple beat me. I think Donna Williams might have written somebody somewhere before that one, but I think mine was the first. Sean Barron had. There's a boy in here, but he wrote that with his mother. So it was kind of a dual effort. Soon Will Come the Light is the first book written by a male with autism as far as autobiographies are concerned. And the way it got that title was uh, I had been reading, um, I had been reading books by um, professionals in the autism field. This is back in the early nineties, back in the golden age of advocacy before the four of us had really gotten anything accomplished and all of them were hopeless put your kid in an institution and forget about them and put and go on with your life and I really didn't like that and years ago before I was an award-winning you know book writer I was an award-winning songwriter I've written a lot of good songs and 
one of my favorites I wrote for my nephew, Nathan, when he was born. It's called Soon Will Come the Light. It's a little lullaby that I wrote for him. If you, if you open the book on the first couple of pages, Andrew, you'll see the lyrics to it. The lyrics, the lyrics to the song open the book. And I wrote, I wrote this song for him. And uh, I've always liked the song. I think it's one of my better ones. I like, I like the idea of, uh, just the hope that that sentence conveys soon will come the light. And I wanted, I, I wanted, part of the reason I wrote the book was to say, you know, this is not hopeless. You know, I found my way out. Granted, I just by dumb luck happened to come across the, probably the only two people in the world that could have done it for me. But, you know, if there's hope for me, then there's hope for others. And, um, no, autism is not the best thing in the world to have, but it's not hopeless either. And that was really sort of the message that I wanted to convey right down to the title of the book. So that's how, that's how I got the name, Soon Will Come to Light. Well, thank you for um, being like a superhero coming out of retirement, right? You know, for... Uh you know, to help us. So <laughs> I, I don't uh, in any way consider myself a superhero. Yeah. Others have called me that. I, I, you know, it, um, I, I sort of in a way had ulterior motives. You know, I, I, uh, the reason that I got into doing the advocacy is because I was looking for answers. You know, I was, I was looking for answers to what had happened to me in my past. And I was looking for ways to, you know, kind of, um, kind of reconcile that and get over, you know, some of my own trauma. And so it, it, it didn't take long though, before I realized that, you know, I was in doing that, I was actually making a difference for others. And when I began to realize that, when I began to see that, that there were, people's lives, you know, just literally all over the world that were being positively affected by the work that I was doing, this cause kind of changed for me. And it kind of got the focus off of me and onto them. Because I saw that, that, you know, this is, this is a good purpose to have. This is a noble purpose. Improving people's lives is a good thing to do if you can do it. And so that it kind of, kind of became to mean something more to me because of that. So I'm going to take the takeaway and I'm not going to give you time to correct it in case it's wrong, but it sounds to me like the best way the advocates of today can advocate for, for others is by focusing on advocating for themselves. I have I said that many times. Well, there you go. That's probably where I heard it before. That was my interpretation of what you said. But but at the same time you're doing that, you have to be careful how you're advocating for yourself because, and this ties this whole podcast together, okay? This, this ties the whole podcast, this whole interview together. If you're advocating for yourself by bullying others, you're not really advocating for yourself or anyone else. You have to, you have to, advocacy is, is a matter of, um, of, of listening to others and, 
and understanding where they're coming from and and seeing the 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 problems and the issues that others have and finding a way to fix them that's really sort of what advocacy is it's 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 improving the lives of other people and and if you improve your own life along the way, then that's really kind of icing on the cake. But it is one way to do it. And it's how I started out. And it was in improving my own life that I learned that I could improve others. Beautiful. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for listening to Adulting on the Spectrum. And uh, thank you so much for for joining us and agreeing to be on the podcast. We we both Uh, really appreciate it. 